Hello everybody and welcome to the Soul Brew Podcast. This is episode 39, Alive and Wild with Lucy O'Hagan. This is our first episode of 2024, but it was recorded live in the Creesa Community Association, uh, Community Hub, sorry, in 2023 with Stephen Doak and Lucy O'Hagan. Stephen, would you like to tell the people who are listening to this about this podcast? Yes, it was also recorded with you, Hayden Hunter. It wasn't just me and Lucy. We have talked about a live podcast for a while and finally got the chance and opportunity to do it. And we were hosted by the Crystal Community Association in a new community hub building on the main street in Crystal. The village we're both from, it's a lovely venue. We had it set up in a decent way with loads of help and we got to have a chat with Lucy on somewhat of a stage. I wouldn't really call it a stage, but we were on higher stools than the rest. And we had a great chat and she's fantastic to listen to. I could listen to her all day, in fairness. How did you feel uh, the first live podcast went? What was going, going through your head for it? So I... My first job to do was to introduce, we had music as well from Kierzo and his band, Cahar and Kyle. And when I went up to introduce them, I was like, oh, fuck, this is different. <laughs> Normally it's just two of us and maybe one guest. Uh, so it was quite strange to go up and have people looking at you as you try talking to the mic. Uh, so that was a bit strange. And then it was two of us as we introduced Lucy and felt a wee bit better when it was the two of us and then much better when it was three of us and we got into the flow of the conversation. But listening back, Aidan, the start when you were speaking, it didn't sound like the, the smooth and silky Aidan Hunter that's chatting to us right now. It's so much easier to be smooth and silky when it's just the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i was nervous as fuck um so i was making coffee for everyone that came and the coffee machine was just kind of in the corner and i was quite happy in there to be honest i was just making the coffee i had my back turned to the crowd but every time i turned around uh there was more and more people there and my nerves nerves just got grew and grew uh so when i started first i think the voice was very shaky but much like yourself once we got into the conversation, uh, it was much more relaxing. And I think once we got the crowd involved as well, once we got a couple of laughs and stuff and everyone seemed engaged, um, it was much better. And it was actually like an exhilarating feeling, I would say. Like afterwards, I was on a high for hours. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just, just a really, I think it was just one of those moments um, for me in particular, when we decided to record the podcast, it was to try and bring people together and have better conversations. And we were able to like bring, I think we had, I don't know what the final numbers were, maybe 44, 45 people into a room to have a better conversation. And I'm sure mm -hmm. those 45 people went out and told somebody, um, which I think is, was just very meaningful for me in terms of that's what the podcast was all about. But I can see that you're um, smiling at my numbers there. Uh, do you want to maybe explain to people <laughs> the lack of communication between the two of us in terms well, of numbers? I wouldn't say lack of communication between the two of us. I would say one person <laughs> lacking communication to the other. 
uh, I was doing a good bit of the organizing with it because I now work in that community hub. So I had a fair idea of numbers and seats and arrangement and that. And Aidan landed in that morning. Uh, I'm like, oh, I um, such and such is coming and such and such is coming and listed off five people. Like, that's all right, isn't it? And I had already text everybody to make sure they're coming and had the numbers and had it all laid out for the numbers we'd agreed on. And uh, yeah, that was uh, a bit of a like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ, I didn't have to rearrange here a bit. But thankfully, there was enough space and we had actually, it was pretty perfect for the numbers uh, and the space we had. You could squeeze in a few more comfortably. Um, but if you did bigger numbers, it would be a bit tighter. It was quite nice um, space. Yeah, I was just was making nice. sure that every you know every seat was filled. You know. Yeah, yeah. Lost without you. <laughs> anyway, yeah, but I think we've we've kind of described it a bit, um, and we have loads of photos on our social media for people to check out. Uh, it's our first go at a live episode. Hopefully you'll enjoy it and hopefully there'll be more to come. One final thing before we proceed is something that we keep forgetting and we keep talking about it before we start recording and still forget is we have a buy me a coffee account set up, which you'll find in the bio. You'll also find it on our Instagram page or Facebook page, all our social media. We are asking that you could please go on and like our socials, follow us subscribe to us on spotify or apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts give us a rating and if you do enjoy it and you'd like to help sponsor the podcast we have a buy me a coffee set up that you can give us the price of a coffee or um a bit more if you like and that money goes straight back into the podcast we don't make anything from it we get a lot of help from friends that we've already mentioned or are about to mention like hannah robert Stephen, the wee brother, loads of people help us out. And we would like to give back to them something in the form of a voucher or giving them a couple of bags of coffee or something, um, which we do already, but we do tend to spend that ourselves and spend a lot of time on this podcast that we're really passionate about. So if you can, check out the link. If you'd like to donate to us, we do appreciate every bit of it. And here is Kirzo a local man with a great song called Anxiety. He was there on the day with his two other band members and he is going to open our first live podcast for us. Don't make me go, just let me sit at home. I just want to be If I had a choice, I'd give you my own voice, but I don't want to be alone. Making friends, rigid hands, I'll smoke up in frigid tents, ambitious ghost, she's in a hole. Won't you give me back my soul? He's sitting up all night, tapping the screen, looking like he hasn't paid in a week. And I feel so scared that I accept defeat, distorted view, anxiety, oh.
her socks at her visible Better not wear those shoes And we never challenge the invincibles Cause they have got so much to lose I'm in my head, think I'm dead Won't you get me to my bed And I roll out, I scream and shout What the hell's this all about? He's sitting up all night Tapping the screen Looking like he hasn't beaten me And I feel so scared That I accept defeat To start a view Anxiety, oh have been talking about live podcasts since we started about two and a half years ago and uh, the hub is the perfect venue for it um, and it's great to have such a good facility in our hometown of Chrysler so we're delighted to basically trial this out and see how it goes and honestly thank you so much for all coming um, we're going to have a guest so it won't just be Aidan and I chatting uh, we'll have about a 45 minute chat and then we'll open it up to Q&A at the end for anyone that might have some questions. So our guest, I'm going to have to read this out because... Um, this is really tricky, trying to speak in the mic and read it at the is, same yeah. time, yeah. <laughs> Hold it up, I guess. Uh, our guest today is a forest school leader, wildlife tracker, bushcraft instructor, and the founder of Wild Awake Ireland. Our guest's love for nature sprouted in early childhood, and after finishing a degree in social anthropology and French, she had the chance to work in schools in the Caribbean and on Reunion Island assisting in the integration of environmental learning across the curriculum. She then created a forest school in Phoenix Park, Dublin, around 2015. She set up Wild Awake in 2017, and after a few years running that, she moved up to Donegal to continue working with Wild Awake. Wild Awake offers courses from ethnobotany, ancestral skills, wildlife tracking and trailing, guides people through the rites of passage, and helps people to distill what it means to rewild on a personal and practical level, level, regardless of where they live. She recently took part in a wild biome project where she ate an exclusively wild foraged food diet for three months. Uh, so our guest today is Lucy O'Higgins. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. We'll just do one final mic test, Robert. All right, here. Thumbs up from Robert. That sounds good. Thumbs up for you. And for Thumbs Lucy. It. Speak into it, maybe just yeah. Speak into it. Yeah, yeah. All thumbs up. Great. I'll start with the opening question. Uh, up in this part of the world, wild means many different things. You could be a wild man, a wild woman, or it could be a wild set away. But what does wild mean to you? And could you explain to the people sitting here what it is for you? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, 
It's true that it's one of those words that's like often can be overly romanticized or really vilified. Um, and it's we see it in everything now, you know, it's used to sell things. It's um, yeah, it's a word that's thrown around a lot. So I'm going to answer that by doing something that I've never done before um, to answer that, which is to invite people to close your eyes if it feels comfortable to you or to just like make your gaze soft. Um, and just to feel uh, where your body meets the earth here, just to notice how your breath feels, the rise and fall of your chest. And bring to your mind's eye a place that you love to go to in nature. Notice the sounds, the sensations of that place. Maybe imagine also then a body of water that you love. It could be a river, a lake, the sea. Imagine the sensation of jumping into that water. Also bring then to your mind's eye the feeling of touching the hand of somebody you love. The feeling of singing a song the aliveness that you feel in your body when you create something new, or when you use your hands to make something. So to me, all of these things are wildness. Um, it's about how we relate to life. Um, and that's a big part of my work is, how do we remember ourselves as nature? Because it's a very recent thing that people consider themselves as separate from nature or that there's me and then there's nature outside of me or there's the environment or there's wildness and that's something else, but it's actually, we are all of that. So that's a big part of my work with Wild Awake is to remember that, to reawaken that and to come back into relationship with ourselves as a part of all of this. So, Sinead, that's... Yeah, great, <laughs> well, that's a great start. Um, I feel like just... <laughs> Walking out there and just looking out at that Let's view go. instead of having a chat. But um, so something that I touched on there was that that connecting and that. <clears throat> so some of the courses you do about connecting to nature. Can you describe what the courses actually are? What you do on the course and what? Yeah, entails? yeah. It's changed a lot through the years since I started this work, um, and I suppose I I began almost exclusively working with young people and working with children and I did that work for about 10 years and then since the pandemic we were chatting about this a little bit about you know people's need to be with one another to relate with one another that like um, connection with nature was such a huge part of the pandemic it felt like people realizing who had access to nature and who didn't and how dependent we were on it um, so since the pandemic, I've mostly been exclusively working with adults um, and that as a kind of industry, if you want to call it that, is really huge in Ireland at the moment from, you know, forest bathing walks or um, forest schools and just people getting outside like sports. Um, and I'd been doing that for a long time of these day long introductions and I just wanted to offer something more immersive to people. Um, so at the moment what I do is I'll run maybe a week-long course for people where we go out onto the land and we learn the ancient skills of our ancestors that connect us to this very place. 
Um, so one example could be um, I do a week-long course called Omus Oish, which is the Gwilga for deer honouring. Um, so some people might be aware that there's kind of a problem with the numbers of deer in Ireland because of the removal of the wolf of that predator. And so as a result, like we need to become the wolf um, if we want the land to regenerate, if we want trees to grow, if we want biodiversity to thrive. Um, but we don't need to do that without heart as well. You know, we can still take the life of an animal um, with respect and with love and by using all parts of it. So um, that's a week-long course exploring how do we take the life of an animal and then honour its life by using every part. So learning how to process the, the body for food or for crafts, for jewellery, for tools, to tan the hide, to render the fat, to uh, track the animal, learn about it in life and learn about it in our mythology, in our language, in our songs as well. So um, that's just one example, but we could also be out on the Enishpofinia foraging seaweed, or we could be out in the forest looking at mushrooms. Um, yeah, there's many. I do many different things. It's always outside, though, so that's kind of the one commonality. Yeah, and I, I did one of uh, one day sort of training with you, um, and in that you cooked nettles, dandelions, and was there something else? But there's a few things that you cooked, and obviously nettles and dandelions are everywhere. Um, can you talk about maybe some of the foods that uh, people maybe don't even realise are there and that are abundant and have so much good uh, minerals and vitamins and all that type of stuff? Yeah, it? absolutely. Um, maybe we could have a show of hands of like, have you ever eaten blackberries? Great. So like we're all foragers and we're kind of the product of successful foragers through time. Like we Bridget Doak, you definitely should have had your hand up there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> She's the main jam maker in the locality here. Oh, good to know, good to know. <laughs> we'll speak later. <laughs> um, yeah, we're here because our ancestors were successful foragers. Um, so there's, like, um, there's a really amazing woman that lives out in, um, I think she's in Gidor, called Margaret Kedini Whale. She's a local herbalist. And she says, you know, every single plant has a use, whether it's for food or medicine or craft. That's what ethnobotany is, by the way. It's like our relationship <laughs> to, um, to plants. Um, so, yeah, like there's, th like even from the ivy growing on the wall out there, you know, it's an incredible medicine for... Um, psoriasis, like you can make soap from the leaves um, and then it's an incredible habitat for like so many birds to nest in, for the bees that come out um, for an early nectar source so it's kind of everything, yeah. And so for anyone listening here now that goes home and is trying to practically think, right, well what have, well, how could I use it, you know, is it Obviously, we could go on a course with you for a week long, but if it's something that maybe something simple that people could do listening online or here, what could you actually do that you can just pick it up and use straight away nearly? So I say that we're here because all of our ancestors were successful foragers. Um, so to be a successful forager, it's really important to know what you're eating so that you don't eat something that's poisonous um, because so much of this knowledge has been lost. Um, but nettles, I think, are always such a great gateway into everything. Like, I'm sure everybody knows what a nettle looks like or has been stung by one. Um, but they're kind of like our Irish superfood. So, like, incredibly high in iron, 
one of the highest counts of protein of any green leaf, high in potassium and magnesium. And like it's it's what's known as an adaptogen. Um, so it, it works with our body and provides us with exactly what our body needs at any given time. Um, so I, I don't know if there's any like Pokemon fans, but I think of it as like the, the ditto of the plant world because it can morph into so many things. Um, but uh, yeah, so just eating nettles is a really good way to start and you can turn them into like pestos or you can deep fry them and make nettle crisps is a really favorite one. Um, you can make drinks with them. And then later in the year, they have these seeds, which are amazing for our adrenal system, which helps us respond to stress. Um, and then you can make like cord and clothes from the, the nettle stalks itself. Um, yeah, it's one that we have a very long history of use here. And there's a saying of like three meals of um, nettles in May will keep the doctor away. So um, yeah, nettles are my favourite. In terms of picking them without getting stung, is there a way of doing that? <laughs> and is there, um, is there a difference in season? Like is the nettle stronger in say March or April than it is in September, October or what is the best time? And I think also nettles, am I right, grow where the soil is richest? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So wear gloves. You don't have to be a superhero. But there is a phrase called grasp the nettle, which is kind of like the carpe diem of the plant world. So they're covered in these little um, hairs, which are like nature's hypodermic needles, which are full of like this cocktail of chemicals that when they pierce your skin, um, they release this uh, formic acid so that's like the itchy uncomfortable thing um and but there's also serotonin and histamine in there so if you grasp the nettle really hard those little hairs squash before they have a chance to dig into you but if you get stung then you're getting serotonin so it's great um, <laughs> just just remember that um but uh, yeah no i just use scissors and it's in the springtime that i'll gather them so that like new fresh growth um, and I come along and I, I cut off the top sort of four to six leaves and that means that the nettle will regrow um, and I think that's a big part of foraging is that responsibility is like knowing how do I steward these plants so that they will be there for, for me, for others, for more wildlife as well um, and the, the nettles will grow in the spring and we don't harvest them when they've gone to flower and then they will regrow again in the autumn. But they'll grow like, you know, I'm harvesting them usually until the beginning of December. And then we'll start foraging them again in February. So it's only really two months of the year that we're without them. Cool. There's something I actually wanted to touch on there when you're talking about COVID um, and the lockdowns. A couple of us really got into uh, going dipping into the water every day and into grounding. And I think when I, when I come home, I feel like I'm at home. Um, and I try to get my feet on the grass or on the soil and I think my father thinks I'm mad first thing in the morning walking about the garden in a pair of bare feet but have you anything that you connection with grounding or any do you do that yourself in any of the courses yeah I mean I suppose I I just go about in my bare feet you know and it's interesting because um it's become this thing you know like grinding or going on a foraging course or dipping in the water it's almost been um I want to say like commercialized you know but it's it's become something that that is actually such a natural and innate way of us being on the land you know 
Um, but yeah, certainly when we're out in the woods, like I'll encourage people to go about in their bare feet, like, and um, to swim in the river and just to make it a kind of daily part of our day so that it doesn't feel like this huge thing that people need to do or have to do, but um, that there's something in it that brings out our, I suppose, our, our wholeness and our feelings of aliveness and our feelings of connection with the natural world as well. What do you experience when you do it? A connection would be the thing, and, and aliveness especially. We would go into the ocean quite a lot mm. and, like, on a rough day or like a day where the sea is quite angry, it feels alive. Like you come out of there absolutely buzzing and freezing at the same time. And I know there's a lot of people in the room that, that do that as well. But if we're away from the ocean or if we're, if we're like landlocked, like I live in the city, mm-hmm. is there any other ways that we can get grounded or connection with nature without that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important point because so often people think like you need to live in this really wild place or, you know, in the countryside, but like it doesn't stop at the city and like wildness exists in all of us. So even, you know, I I find so many plants in the city, like da- dandelions growing through the cracks, like reminding me of like the resilience of nature. And um, then, you know, so many abandoned lots that have so many medicinal plants. The birds are always there and there are these incredible messengers of the sky then just to learn about their lives. Something that I love about wildlife tracking as well is just that wild animals are always crossing our paths. And if we just kind of begin to, I suppose it's like tuning our awareness to this other, these other stories that are happening around us. Um, and we decentralize the human story um, because I think that's a, it's a big story of our culture at the moment is this idea of human supremacy um, when actually we're a part of it all. And, you know, I am as much of this earth as the fox that walks past the dustbins in the city at night, you know, as I am of the ocean or... Um, so, yeah, I think cities are a great place to connect to nature and even the sense of community that you can get in a city. You know, I was certainly drawn to the city as a young person because of all the different stories, all the different communities that I could be a part of that maybe didn't exist in the rural place that I grew up in as well. Um, yeah. You're still a young person. just oh, you know, yeah. Not when you were a young person. Um, Younger. Yeah. <laughs> more adventurous. Went out more. Well, I'd be very similar. I obviously live around here now. Um full time whereas when I was in my late teens early 20s was definitely to try to get out of here mm-hmm. and I suppose like Aidan was saying that something drew me back here um, whatever it was the sea the connection the nature the community H- how would you suggest maybe someone that's either living in a city and then the same question someone that's living in a rural community to find that community of people that would be into this type of thing because I met you through an Irish class we went together and um, and then I got to know you and got interested in that way. Is there any way in for people that are listening mm. in a city or in a rural area like here? Um, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of ways, like just finding what it is that brings you alive, you know, whether that is dipping in the sea and, you know, going out and seeing if there's people there. Walk around, around the beach until you find somebody that's dipping in. But it's like... Um, and I, I actually think as well, that's why there's um, 
to connect with people online like you know like this tool of technology it's like a tool like any other tool you know it can be used for positive or negative forces but like it can be so connective in terms of finding the people that you resonate with and um and and to go towards that like so um yeah certainly like I would use that a lot like and I'm on Instagram and I've made so many friends that are actually then real life friends that I find well these are the people that I share similar perspectives with um how do we integrate where we're going in terms of technology because like in technology in one hand versus wild in the other hand you would think that they don't integrate so where do you sit with that and how do we integrate where we still share things on social media but we're still staying true to our roots at the same time um i try not to think in binaries is like something that i always come back to um and you know, as I said, like obviously technology can be used like in the way that a knife can become like a tool or a weapon, you know. Um, I think we feel it in ourselves when we have actual connection with people, when we're with them, when we're in relationship with a place or a landscape. We feel it in our bodies like, you know, it, it, it touches us much more deeply than, you know, being online and, and speaking to somebody that way. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something I struggle with I'm, I think everybody does because that's how it's designed you know it's it can be very insidious the the ways that they you know how addictive it can be um so I'm sure so many people have different ways of navigating that for myself it's like it's a window through which I can show people the things that I'm passionate about and the things that I care about um and I hope that, you know, I can share those things and then people feel more inspired to connect in a real way with one another. Um, yeah, how do you approach it? Uh, I try <laughs> post and ghost as much as I can, I but like I go on to post and ghost and then uh, 10 minutes later I'm like, put it down and like, oh God, I didn't even do what I meant to do on it. Yeah. Like that, I just find that like, I'm not a big fan of um, social media and that, but I realise that like we have the podcast obviously so to try mm-hmm. promote that and get people to listen you have to post and you have to share and mm-hmm. it's a, a constant battle i think for me anyway um but yeah try like put timers on uh the apps like instagram and facebook and that but then at times out and i just change it and <laughs> give myself more time so it doesn't really work but our goal with soul brew was to bring people together and have better conversations and ask better questions over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea um and so the goal of the podcast is obviously to promote that to get people to listen to it on we release on a friday so the idea being that you meet up with someone on the saturday and get a cup of coffee and go for a walk and so we're trying to find that balance of promoting something and then encouraging people then to go out and i'd say it i'd imagine after today's podcast as well there'll be plenty of people stopping off at Ards Forest Park on their way home and maybe uh, going for a walk in nature so that's but it, it is definitely tricky because phones are so addictive you know and you just constantly keep pulling it out and stuff so it's it's definitely I find it hard as well to, to find that balance I was listening to um, a podcast that you were on yesterday and you had said something that that stood out to me and you said that um, this world needs to end and I was wondering, do you remember saying that? Did and I say that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and what did you mean? What did you mean by it? Um, 
That's a loaded question. <laughs> it's what I love to talk about. I mean, so I consider my work as, as radical, as radical nature connection, as radical ways of relationship. And what that means to me is like that we go to the root of it. So why is it that we're here, you know, discussing what the word wild is or why we might need to rewild? Like, I like to ask those questions of what has happened to get us to where we are now that we, you know, like we, we don't know what a nettle looks like or um, so for me, like a big part of that is like colonialism around the world and the uprooting of people from their ancestral life ways and from their genuine ways of relating to landscape, to language, to each other um, and then living under capitalism as well where you know, we're quote unquote making a living by doing something that food costs money, that shelter costs money, and that there's huge disparities in the world of like who has access to that, who has access to green spaces. Um, so yeah, like for me, my work is deeply political. Um, and uh, that's, that. I think, well, I think everything is political. Like, you know, I think to say that something isn't political is political. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just like, how do we, how, like how do we look at where we are now the very real issues that are facing us with climate change with um you know like huge disparities like in in wealth um and like try to come back to some understanding of like what does it mean to be human and where are we going and how can we learn from our ancestors learn from those ways of re relating to the land with this contemporary insight that we have now so that we can come up with creative, because we're creative beings, like incredibly creative beings when we are given the chance to be. So how do we use all of this knowledge to kind of creatively imagine, um, in the words, words of Charles Eisenstein, like the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. Um, so yeah, I think I, when I say, I don't know if I said the world needs to end. <laughs> <laughs> it was something along those lines. <laughs> but certainly, like, the harmful systems within which we are embedded now need to end and will end, you know. Um, and how is it that we still um, have some kind of resilience through that? Like, how can we be, yeah, like, like a nettle, you know, like have these really deep roots that are, like, entwined with so many fungi and so many other relationships um, and still offer like this great medicine that we have to offer. What does it mean to be human for you? Um, like creativity is something that comes to mind and relationship is something that I come back to a lot, you know, of like we're, we're in relationship continuously. Like we're, we're so much more of anything else than we are of ourselves, like of microbes and waters. And um, so, yeah, I, I suppose I, I often look to like indigenous scholarship when thinking about ideas like this of, yeah, what is our kind of sacred responsibility to the earth, you know, to all of the creatures? We're one of the youngest species here. So what do I have to learn from seaweed that's been here for billions of years? What do I have to learn from fungi that are constantly teaching me about what it means to be in community, like about mutual aid? What do I learn from trees or deer or... You know, um, so to be human is like for me constantly learning um, and being humbled by the world. Yeah. Same question to you, Stephen. 
I thought I got away with that. <laughs> What's it like to be human? Human. What, what is it? What does being human mean to you? Um, what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I was so entranced in your answer there that I was like, um, wasn't really trying to pick up my own answer, but th- that'll pick up on where you left there. That uh, being humbled and like surfing is something that myself and Aiden do quite a lot, and I find it the most humbling experience you can do because you just get battered by the water sometimes, and you get tumbled and you get caught under for maybe what feels like minutes, but it could be three or four seconds, but. It's a real humbling experience, you think. And when you think you've mastered it, a wave comes and crashes on you and, and you just get um, a real feeling of that danger of the sea, but being respectful of it and that it's the boss. It doesn't really matter who you are. Um, so that's sort of that connection and then all the rest of the things you said as well, I think, covers it. <laughs> but um, that co- sort of connection and that um, with the earth, like, where did all that come from for you, for... I'm guessing you're brought up in Belfast, isn't that right? Or yeah. like, what, where did that sort of um, your idea of how being human and that sort of political opinion you have and all this wild awake, where did that come from? Where's the roots of Lucy O'Hagan come from? My mommy's in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, well, I was born in Belfast and we moved out to um, the countryside um, when I was eight and a lot of that period of my life was spent up in the fields alone um and I mean I say alone but in the company of trees and rabbits and wells and rivers and um I think that was like the real kind of grounding and very lucky to have a mum as well who loves nature and loves gardening and would have brought us out picking blackberries and finding puffballs and all the rest so and I think that's what drew me to working with young people in the outdoors so much initially is because that is seeded so often in childhood like that we have that connection and we don't forget about it um and then you know through my life like I moved back to Belfast kind of lived a different kind of wild lands- lifestyle and punk gigs and squatting and um yeah very politically active all of my life and always cared deeply about the world and the earth um and it wasn't until I did forest school training in 2015 that it kind of I suppose it was that awakening of purpose you know um of what I wanted to do how I would give my life meaning and um yeah there's many long answers to that but that's the short answer yeah and then it you were talking about grounding and being out in your in your lawn and your bare feet and that and sure that's not something that you picked up as a young person growing up when did that start to become a thing for you um and that sort of same question that i just asked this there i'll kind of throw it back to you a bit we're throwing we're each other under the bus <laughs> here a lot aren't we yeah <laughs> now i was just thinking myself um and, and when i was growing up we were pretty lucky we were just that age where game boys and stuff were starting to come out and i never got really sucked into it um, a lot of our childhood was spent outside in, in each other's houses, although we weren't really friends at the time, <coughs> as much as we are now. But um, no, we spent a lot of time uh, outside in forests and things like that there. And I was always surrounded by friends, always had friends in the house, or always away to friends. And I've kind of carried that into my adulthood as well, where I'm still surrounded by people. Connection with people is very important to me. Um, and play, so play for me is exercise. It's something that I do 
like every day and it's not really something that I punish myself with it's just something that I enjoy doing so I try and weave I've kind of weaved a career out of connecting with people and exercise at the same time and I can do the same thing for them so that's kind of when I think when I start to think back and join the dots it makes sense and then the connection with the earth or like even the grounding probably was doing it like unbeknownst to me when I was younger because I was always in nature or always like climbing trees or whatever but it wasn't until about 10 years ago um that I first heard about grounding or and it was the water um so I used to do boot camps here in Chrysla and we used to go down to Marble Hill Beach uh, and do them down there when the weather was good and then afterwards and I would just walk along the beach with my feet in the water and that's kind of where it started for me and again it wasn't really something I knew that I was doing I was just doing it and I felt connection and felt like a, a sense of belonging and even when I fly home now that moment that I step out of the plane and breathe in Irish air it's just different and when you come up here it's different you know what was that famous advertisement up here it's different isn't this some for Donegal um, and even in, in this room now you can feel it at least I can feel it I'm not sure if anyone else can but just that sense of community and belonging and and connection yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a test don't worry. <laughs> And I suppose something you touched on there, the connection with people and friends, and I think we all experience quite similar connection. And one thing that connects a lot of us is food, going for food, having food together, making people food. And I'm going to touch on the the project you're part of recently. Um, I'll just let you explain it rather than me going to try <laughs> and put it together. But if you can explain that uh, three-month diet you took yeah. part in. Um, so it was sort of the brainchild of a woman called Monica Wild, very aptly named woman. Um, and she lived on wild food for one full year and she wrote an incredible book called The Wilderness Cure. And um, as part of that project, she noticed a lot of sort of physiological changes. Um, she was also doing it with her partner and he was diabetic. And for the first time in his life, his diabetes stabilised. Um, so they just wanted to see, are we just a couple of weirdos in Scotland? like, Or does this have any kind of grinding um so she organized a project called the wild biome project so there were 26 of us um living on exclusively wild food for either three months or one month um and that was from spring equinox so 21st of march to summer solstice so 21st of june um and the intention was kind of to show what happens to a western gut and body when we eat only wild food um, that is in season and from the place where we are. So it was the first study of its kind. Um, studies had been done with different indigenous groups, so the Hadza in East Africa and um, Aboriginal Australians, with uh, incredible results for them, so much so that a lot of the time they finished the study early because they were just their health had improved so much they were so excited to go home and show their families so they were like that's it we're off it works it's great um so yeah so for three months I was eating only wild food uh, we had some kind of parameters like you know we could have so many hazelnuts a day um because obviously we would have gathered the hazelnuts in the autumn but we might not have had that much left by the spring um a certain amount of acorn flour a tiny jar of honey um, that was really eked out um, but uh, yeah um, incredible experience and um, the results came back from that which were 
kind of only positive, really. So we were measured against a control group that were um, eating a government-recommended diet, and we were tested on gut health, um, blood fat, body composition, um, other things, other measures. Um, but I suppose across the board, inflammation went down, um, vitamin counts went up, um, a lot of people who, um, yeah, body composition changed a lot into like what would be considered a healthy range. Um, and our gut microbiome, which I suppose there's a lot of talk about the gut microbiome at the moment and it's um, how it relates to our mental health and our wider health. Um, so compared to the control group, ours increased by 13 points. Um, so this was measured by an organization called Zoe and um, they have a sort of measure for how they measure gut health. So the control group went up one point, the foraging group went up 13 points. Um, so that's not testing for the potential thousands of microbes that are in our gut, but was certainly a good indicator that like, yes, when we're eating a wild seasonal diet, then it's, um, you know, very beneficial for our body, but certainly even just the kind of mental health that you experience, because it's not just, it doesn't just arrive on your plate, you know, you have to go out and forage it. And when you go out and forage something, you, you know, have meetings with lots of different people who want to know what you're doing. So I'm getting all of these stories from fishermen, from, you know, people out in the fields, um, which is so good for my feeling of belonging and connection. Um, and then like the other experiences that I have, like it might be that I'm in the forest foraging mushrooms and suddenly I catch sight of a deer or I'm watching a jay bird burying the acorns that I'm picking. So there's all these senses, like that real sort of deep rooted sense of belonging, um, which is of course like incredible for our mental health and our wider health as well. So yeah, I finished the project. I loved it so much that I did it again in the autumn time, just because I wanted to do it. And I feel like it's something that will just be a part of my life going forward. Um, but there's there's such an abundance of, of food, you know, and particularly when you come to that realisation of like what abundance there is and what generosity there is being offered by the land, you feel that responsibility to give back and to, um, yeah, just like enhance that and to share that with other people so that people can feel that. So that's... Yeah. Great. It sounds, <clears throat> it sounds unreal in fairness and... I did see some of the dishes you cooked. You put them on your Instagram, and I was able to see what you did, and it looked class. And like the some of the stuff you cooked that day, I was out training with you. But then, at a real practical level, um, I would say it was probably a bit exhausting too. I'd imagine. Um, is yeah, a lot of work. With if you're to give someone advice now, like anyone here listening, uh, something that you could pick out that's actually practical and that wouldn't be huge difficult to add to their lifestyle now what would you pick out maybe one or two or three things nettles again yeah. um yeah i mean it's 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 a lot of work because we wouldn't have done this alone right you know it's kind of rare that there's just one person living this way we would be sharing that as a community um but i think like coming i often talk about getting to know your neighbors you know so whether those are plants or animals or your human neighbors um so like nettles are always available, dandelions as well are just like 
you know, dandelion greens are like a multi-billion dollar industry in the States and in countries where dandelions don't grow, they're like propagating them to grow them for salads. And yet we're spraying everything to uproot them. Like they're so high in vitamins and minerals, the root as well, like incredible source of glucose and sucrose, like so it can be made into a coffee. So, um, yeah, like coming to know the things that are very common to your area and just like very slowly getting to know them and bringing them into your food and into your plate um, is, is the best way. It's like good relationships take time. Yeah. Questions on the and you're a big man into nutrition and diet and fitness is there any questions on that how did you find so you did you did the diet twice how did you find the difference in the energy and food in the earlier part of the year when everything is growing versus in the autumnal part of the year was there any difference in the food or the availability of it yeah it was really interesting because in the autumn time there's actually more food because you have all of the mushrooms the berries the nuts but you also have this regrowth of nettles and greens. So there's no trouble with the shortage of food. But of course, and I, I knew this on lots of levels, I don't feel the same as I feel when I'm in spring. Like when I'm in spring, my body feels energized and I'm like raring to go for the year. And when I'm in autumn, when we're in autumn, what should be happening is we're getting ready for like rest, for hibernation, for, you know, and our body needs different things. And when we begin to forage, we notice that nature is providing us with exactly what our body needs at any given time. So in the springtime, there's loads of foods that are really working to boost our immune system, to boost our digestion, working with the lymphatic system, helping us get rid of waste. And then in the autumn, it's like lots of fats, lots of berries, antioxidants. So it's like getting us ready for hibernation. So it was so much harder in the autumn, which I was really surprised thinking, oh, there's loads of food. It'll be no problem. But my energy was different. So my motivation to kind of keep going, I find that a lot, a lot harder. Um, yeah, but so I'd be really interested to do it with like a group of friends where we're all just you know, in the vicinity of one another, helping each other and um, see how that changes things as well. But it was good to feel that on a very deep level. Apart from like the scientific stats of doing a diet like that, how did you actually feel in yourself? Like what, what did you notice yourself? Like inflammation, you had mentioned, did you notice inflammation went down or did you notice your energy levels changing? Or apart from what the, the, the study discovered, did you discover anything about yourself? Yeah, there was kind of a joke in our house that it was like creepy to sleep beside me because I would just almost wake up fully clothed and just walk out of bed. Like I was just like so had so much energy. And I think that was the only reason I could do what was essentially another full time job on top of my job is because of the energy that that food gave me. Um, so, yeah, my my mental health was so steady, you know, like I, I felt a lot more resilient in you know, responding to stress, um, which I sort of attribute, you know, yes, to the food, but also to the amount of time spent outside. Um, and um, yeah, just like really high energy and like a real zest for life, actually. Um, yeah, that's it was very special. Yeah, so we uh, will hopefully all be able to take something 
from that in terms of um, what we can find nearby. We'll all be searching the gardens later on. Um, Mum has a polytunnel in her garden, so she's all right. She's sort of... You'll be down raiding it now. (laughs) (laughs) All along the edges. Yeah. Coming up the dandelions. We're going to open the Q&A here. Um, If anyone has a question for either Lucy, myself or Aidan, um, we're happy to take any questions. Anything at all? Gears on it. The nettles and stuff and how they sting. Um, I suppose how how do you cook them? So like, do you boil them or something to get the them hairs off? So it's like obviously safety because I assume you wouldn't just eat it from the ground. That would be a bit. You can. <laughs> so we'll just repeat the question to have it that we have this right. So your question is, how is the preparation of the nettles occurring so it's safe for ingestion? Um. So you can eat them if you like. It's kind of a party trick, like, so if you want to impress somebody, (laughs) um, you can pick them and roll them, which destroys the sting, and then you can eat them raw, and really delicious, like, nutty, earthy taste, but then, yes, heat will destroy the sting, so you could boil them, steam them, put them in the oven, making them into pesto kind of destroys the sting as well, so you can eat them raw, Um, but yeah, generally, heat Question. Question. There's Magella in the back there. Your your skin is amazing. Lucy, I don't know if that it probably has a lot to do with uh, Thank like you. your <laughs> <laughs> foraging. I love doing recycled forest and I spend a fortune on uh, skincare. <laughs> is there anything I can just walk out to the back of the, the house and go, here, this will help the old aging process? So the question being, what can we gather from nature that's good for our skin without having to spend money on f- lots of dermatology stuff? Um, do you know dock leaves? Yeah. So um, in the springtime, the dock leaves kind of, they um, emerge from like a little, it's almost like a little sheath. And when you break it off, it has a gel substance in it. And the gel substance has the same chemicals as aloe vera in it, which might be why we say that nettle stings, we use dock leaves, was this gel initially rather than the full leaf. Because the full leaf is great, but it's like it doesn't have anything in it that is pulling out the nettle sting. Anyway, like um, my friend Monica Wilde put up a video of her using this gel for her skin. Um, and it, it went viral because she did like beauty thing. Um, but yeah, apparently that's great. I think just like being outside as much as possible. Um, like I don't really put anything on my skin, but seaweed as well, like carrageen moss, you know, when you put that into water and it exudes a gel as well. And that's used a lot in um, beauty products. Yeah. Smiling a lot. Maybe <laughs> helps and maybe tears. Tears help too. <laughs> Do you want to know our skincare routine, uh, Magella? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? Richie Hunter? Would you ever consider yourself as a candidate for the Greens? (laughs) 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 It's a political question come in there. (laughs) The question was, would you ever uh, consider yourself a political person for the Green Party? Am I right? Is that what you want to ask? Or a candidate? I'm an anarchist, so no. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. It's not for me. 
I just like being outside. <laughs> <laughs> we create a new party, Wild Awake party. The wild party. <laughs> <laughs> the wild party, yeah. Neville? Uh, Aidan's partial to his bar eyes tea. Can you give him an alternative that's from nature? A tea from nature. Well, Nettle tea, tea. Tea is from nature. So, but um, nettle tea, absolutely. Um, there's a really lovely plant that grows here. It starts growing in the spring and then you'll probably recognize it in the summer. It has like um, pink flowers. It's like a big spike of pink flowers that then turns to seed. Um, and the leaves of that are fermented in the same way that tea leaves would be to make something called Ivan Chai. And it's really delicious, like very delicate tea, but bramble leaves as well. Um, so like the tea plant is just like the top leaves of the tea plant, which are oxidized and fermented. So you can do that with loads of plants here. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who wanted to run a course of like just making a cup of tea that was like going from like carving your cup to learning how to make fire by friction, to make your fire, to forage the plants, to make a cup of tea. So I might do that. Yeah. Barry's is handier. It is. It is. For no, sure. I'm joking. Anybody else got any questions? Uh, so I have another one. Uh, it's, it's actually for the lads. Um, so, Aiden, obviously, you're living in Vienna. How are you spending doing the podcast, living in different countries? I've uh, thanked this man a lot. Well, and doing the so the question was how do we find doing the podcast in different countries? It's definitely harder. Um, I don't think it's as good online, or I don't. It's not as enjoyable online, and um, that's I think that sort of face to face, all back to connection and what we're kind of chatting here about. When you're in the person with or in the room with someone, even like cues and conversational cues, it just seems. Whereas when you're online, sometimes you just let the person sort of keep speaking, so there's not as much flow in a conversation. Yeah. That so it is harder, but with technology, the good things about technology, we can still continue it. And then when Aiden's home, it's a mad rush. I'll be back someday. A few. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's mad, mad panic to get like I didn't even go home first this time. We can straight here to record a podca- podcast. It is, it is difficult, especially if you have a guest, because the delay in seconds, and you kind of like kind of have to put your hand up maybe a few seconds before you speak, and even editing the podcast, and you're kind of cutting out the three second uh, delay all the time, which is a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but yeah. Yeah. The, the drive is still there um, but for this one in particular as I said at the start like Stephen's highly responsible for organising this one thanks I just showed up like nice. one direction <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so basically it's it's harder but it, you can with technology you can get away with anything now can't you you can do anything online uh, there's a question here also Patrick yeah I had a question for Lucy uh, I've read a few articles like the likes of doctors in NHS I think maybe in Ireland as well are prescribing like walking and yoga and sea swimming for different illnesses and stuff. And I, uh, I was just wondering, do you think that doc, that could be trialed as in like, prescribing what you're doing about like reconnecting with nature and part like the diet that you do and that kind of stuff? Because I find it really interesting because part like seems like a prescription with like literally a piece of paper saying walking or sea swimming from a doctor seems to carry a lot more weight than if your friend just told you you should go for a walk. (laughs) So do you think that's something that could be trialled or ever done here? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I I think, you know, it's no replacement for, like, medications that people might need, you know, but certainly, like, 
to move towards a healthcare system that considers a whole person, like, is can only be a good thing. And I also think, I mean, I suppose I'm really worried about the state of our healthcare system. Like, you know, it's really collapsing and it's like, well, how do we continue to, like, keep ourselves well rather than just, like, going when there's a problem, you know? And I, I think that that can only happen, like, when we're in community and relationship with each other, with ourselves and, and with nature as well. So, um, yeah, do you have anything to add to it? Uh, something I could talk about all day, to be honest, yeah. Um, my background is health promotion, which is all about promoting health before treatment is needed, I suppose. So that's kind of my area um, th- that I've worked in and studied and stuff. So um, it's a little bit slow coming around to... It, it does tend to be the doctor is the main person that people go to, which for most cases is, is the right person to go to, but um, it's starting to become more prevalent where people are realising that, you know, doctors don't study nutrition or physical activity. So that although they're so knowledgeable and have so much information, there's also many other people that complement that, like physios and PTEs and nutritionists and dietitians and all that. So it's coming to a case, I think, that um, people are realising that doctor isn't the only person that's an expert in health and well-being and there's different avenues and stuff so yeah just to kind of reiterate what you're saying that the healthcare system is not great but uh, the wild awake party is going to sort that out <laughs> in uh, the new in the next election <laughs> isn't you anything to add to that yeah um i'll be able to answer that question next year uh, so my next project in Vienna is I'm going to be working with a cardiologist, an internal medicine doctor, and an orthopedic doctor in the surgery. But there's also going to be a gym in the surgery, which I'm going to be running. So the patient is going to come in and kind of get a full rundown of they could be pre-diabetic, diabetic, cardiovascular disease. And the doctor is going to treat them medically. And then they're going to hand them over to me then to treat them with like um, prescribed exercise and things like that there. So... I'm really excited about it. Uh, it's kind of like a new concept, but I have no uh, data for you yet, but maybe next year I'll be able to answer how r- we plan to treat the individual uh, based on everything about the individual rather than just what the books say. And on that, there is social prescribing. Uh, I don't know if anyone's aware of that. So there's a uh, person based in Delfani would be the local one here, and most sort of villages would have a social prescriber, and they work with the doctor. So the doctor prescribe a person to them and it's basically they'll meet in a group and go for a walk or something and come back and have a cup of tea or that. And it's that social connection, which we've kind of talked about the whole episode here. And then that little bit of physical activity and them two things um, sort of combine to help treat the person. So that's something that is here a little bit, but it's just not as um, widely known, I suppose. But yeah, good question. Does anyone have any other questions? Two more, the two brothers there again. We'll go with Cahar at the back there first. Uh, in terms of like foraging and stuff, like, you know, I live near Repside Arts Forest Park and like I've never, you know, picked anything. And it's like, because I'm not sure if I'm allowed, it's like, is there certain places you're allowed to pick things from nature and other places you're not like? Because I feel like that's not widely known. So the question is, I think I have this right. Where and where and where can we not pick things from nature? Am I right? Yeah, there's definitely certain legalities around foraging and it's less defined in Ireland than it is in the UK. In the UK, they have like a law around the five Fs, I think it is, like that you can forage fruit, foliage, 
other apps. Um, but uh, here it's like you can't uproot something if it's on somebody else's land. And then there's different laws around trespassing. But certainly in ours, like you're able to go in and forage as long as you're not uprooting anything. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of, or like cutting down a tree or something like that, you know, but certainly just for gathering like leaves or fruit or berries or, you know, mushrooms are just incredible in Ards. Like it's my favorite place to go mushroom foraging. Um, so yeah, and I find even like, I do forage in people's gardens a lot because, um, people will buy in plants or trees, like magnolia trees, you know, magnolia, the, the petals are edible and they taste like ginger. So I'm often will be like knocking on somebody's door saying, you have a magnolia tree, like, do you mind if I forage some petals from it? And it creates like a new connection in my life where they come out and forage it with me. Or, you know, there's somebody in Fulcara whose garden is just covered in three cornered leek, which tastes a bit like wild garlic, but not as intense. And uh, it really takes over the garden and they're delighted to see me coming every year because like, I'm just like <laughs> waiting for them, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like this way of just starting up conversations and connections with people. I think we'll have to wrap it up and we always leave the final bit to the guest. I have kind of one final question. What would you like to see everyone in this room do today to be a little bit more wilder? And I don't know, Stephen, if you have anything to add on to that um nothing more than quickly we talked about how we met in irish class down in dofani we um trying to learn about irish Um, maybe just add on your thoughts on the irish language and nature and how that connection is powerful um yeah i suppose the thing that i would say is just to do something that makes you feel alive you know it's like yeah. i could say go and forage a nettle but it's just like to me, wildness is just about like that connection to life. Um, so just doing something that makes you feel alive, whether it's a walk, whether it's like hugging somebody, whether it's, you know, having a conversation that feels good to you. It's like, yeah, anything that brings brings you to life is a good thing. Um, and yes, yeah, so we met in Irish class and it's felt like a big responsibility of mine not being from this area and living in the Gaeltacht to learn Irish. But it's also like, you know, it's at least 2000 years old, this like nature based language. Um, and for me, it was like this whole other layer to my work of, well, I can learn all of these names of the plants, of the animals, of the landscape through Irish. And it's actually like this, it's a way of seeing the world that is so deeply rooted to place and so deeply like it's how our ancestors like perceived this place. Um, so yeah, I think also like if you're going out to learn the name of a plant or an animal or a bird or whatever it might be, even the place that you live in, to like learn what that place is, Asquilga as well, is such a beautiful way of connecting to like our own sense of belonging. Thank you, Lucy O'Hagan. Oh my guess. Thank you. Thanks again. Um, just before we finish, just again, another big massive thank you to Lucy and to Kierzo and the two lads for the music. Um, and then, of course, Hannah, who's roaming around taking photos there. Thank you. Robert on sound. I'm sure it's going to sound very crisp and we'll have it uploaded on the Soul Brew podcast very soon. 
Magella again for allowing us to use the venue and uh, Claire and Jubal of Bry Restaurant who provided some of the great food there as did Taryn Anderson in Casa Cafe um, and then Darren from New Edition for the coffee and if you would like to buy a coffee tumbler from Soul Brew Podcast which has been advertised here the whole episode um, you come and chat to us we have some of them um, sustainable reusable um, cups <laughs> Forgot a word there. Uh, and thank you, Aidan, f- uh, for um, Soul Brew. And thank you, Lucy, again, for joining us. And final, 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 final. Uh, the podcast, if you listen to it, if you could please give it a rating on Spotify, share it with someone, uh, listen to it, have a conversation with someone. Everything we Everything is organic, so like every like, every share, every rating really drives on the podcast. And the whole purpose of the podcast is to bring people together like this, have good conversations, have a bit of connection, make a cup of tea, make a cup of coffee, um, and even just everything cares those words. You never know who needs it, so um, please do that as well. Uh, this next song we're going to do is a little bit different. It's called Pierre the Teddy Bear. And uh, a lot of these songs, a lot of the songs that I write are kind of ba- based around mental health, so obviously anxiety is fa- fairly self-explanatory. Um, Pierre the teddy bear is about uh, this teddy bear called Pierre, funny enough, and uh, he's going through a tough time in his life, uh, you know, a bit of relationship trouble, gets into a bit of funny business, so um, yeah, you can see what you think, but it's just basically about how somebody can look all nice and cuddly on the outside, or yeah, they can look all nice and cuddly on the outside, but they mightn't feel that way on the inside, so here we go, here's Pierre the teddy bear. happy as Pierre He doesn't seem to have a single care And William is all he thinks about Until he drove straight through that roundabout We all have dark times We all have blurred lines It's how you deal with the pain Pierre the teddy bear Looks nice but be aware He's got a broken heart Someone broke his fuse So please don't get confused That's where the problems start For food to eat As he goes about committing crimes William is entering his prime We all have dark times And we all have blurred lines It's how you deal with the pain Yeah, the teddy bear Nice but be aware He's got a broken heart
things don't get confused That's where the problems start Here's a sing-along that night The air, the teddy bear 